Comptroller of the Currency Joseph Odding pledged to ease banking regulations during a recent address at the Independent Community Bankers of America Capital Summit in Washington. He said he wants to make it easier for banks to comply with the Bank Secrecy Act and other anti-money laundering laws. His office, along with the FDIC and Federal Reserve, are planning to send a proposal to FinCEN outlining their ideas for a streamlined BSA. So what would a revised BSA mean for financial institutions? I'm hoping to see some sort of registry that would help with compliance for CDD. That would give any institutions that are trying to comply with that CDD rule basically a place to go and check um, the beneficial owners for an account when they're opening it. I'm Laura Sewell. I'm Andy Goldstein. And you're listening to FinTech Focus from CSI. In July of 2017, the American Bankers Association issued a 20-page response to the Treasury Department's call for views and recommendations for regulations that can be eliminated, modified, or streamlined in order to reduce burdens. The response contained some interesting ideas for reshaping the framework of the BSA. Fast forward to today, and we're on the doorsteps of seeing this vision become a reality. With us to talk potential changes to the BSA and more is Padgett Kreider, COO and Vice President of Farmers Bank and Trust in Marion, Kentucky, and Amber Goodrich, CSI's Compliance Strategist. Welcome to FinTech Focus. It's great to talk to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Padgett, let's start with you. Can you give us a brief explanation of what the Bank Secrecy Act is and how it affects your institution? Sure. The The Bank Secrecy Act has lots of details. Um, it, it literally touches each entity or individual that we do business with. Um, it's those those details that require our day-to-day attention and what we do each day for the Bank Secrecy Act. Um, some regula- regulations that we deal with set a foundation, um, and we base what we do on that foundation. But BSA is very structured and very detailed, and it takes a lot of intricate pieces to make it all work. Um, the requirements that that it imposes upon us are sometimes easier for us as a smaller community bank because we do feel like we really know our customers and that's the point of a lot of what BSA drives. Mm-hmm. But some of the requirements are more difficult for us. Um, the regulation obviously is the same no matter the size of the bank or where you're located. And so we have to spend quite a bit of our time finding ways that work for us to meet the requirements within our limitations of, you know, time and talent and budget and those things. The BSA was passed in 1970, which in in regulatory in the regulatory world is eons ago. How have advancements in technology for both banks and for those bad actors who would want to exploit banks? How has that advancement affected the law since then? Obviously, 1970 was as you said eons ago. We're coming up on almost 50 years ago, which is kind of crazy to believe. Um, But I think that technology um, advancements has obviously been kind of the biggest change um, to both, you know, the institutions that are trying to comply with the rule as well as those that are trying to bypass the rule, the bad actors, as you 
stated, it's a visit to the bank, to a bank branch is kind of rare at this point. And that makes, um, as Paja said, really knowing your customers difficult, um, which is good, obviously, for the ones that are trying to, to bypass the rule. It makes tracking transactions difficult because everything is electronic. Um, you know, it even makes competition for banking difficult because there are so many um, non-bank financial institutions out there that are, you know, vying for that business as well. Um, all of that on the flip side is easier for criminals, obviously. It's easier for them to complete transactions without being traced with the technology that we've got in place now. Outside of that, the world that we live in has just changed quite a bit in the past 50 years. Um, the BSA's requirements are really outdated when it comes to things like reporting thresholds for currency transaction reports and suspicious transaction reports. The dollar amounts on those are really kind of low in today's world. Um, there's also, you know, listings of high-risk businesses and things like that that are um, outlined in the BSA, which, you know, even that could be considered kind of out of date with, you know, the types of business that, things that we have in 2018. So um, it's definitely... Definitely um, a little bit out of date, but, you know, with, with 50 years in there, it's, it's not, you know, completely unheard of. <laughs> yes. And, and I know that, that, Amber, you were a former BSA officer at a bank. Um, and, and this question, I think, might tie into what Patrick said earlier about the difficulties that, that um, her institution faces at times in complying with this, this law. But how hard do you think it is for institutions then to follow this law that hasn't evolved quite as quickly and has some outdated elements in it? Well, speaking from personal experience, and I, you know, prior to joining CSI, I was a BSA officer at a, a mid-sized financial institution. It mm -hmm. was extremely difficult for us to comply with the rule, um, and that's for several reasons. We, as Paja said, we had a pretty good handle on knowing our customers, or at least we thought we did. Um, but, you know, gathering all of the identifying information, um, it, it was a challenge then, and it's even more of a challenge now since we've had the CDD rules passed. Um, outside of that, I think the biggest struggle was the transaction monitoring, and that was something that um, at the time, you know, this was five years ago, but at a mid-sized institution, we were doing everything substantially manual. Um, we had Excel spreadsheets that we were doing. We had a single person, myself, um, sometimes, you know, one or two other individuals that would help go in and try to look for those suspicious transactions. And if we found them, try to investigate them and in turn file, you know, the necessary reports. So it's, it's extremely difficult to comply with, especially if you don't have, you know, the tech technological type of solutions in place um, t to help with that, for sure. And Padgy, your thoughts on this? Does a lot of what Amber said sound familiar to you? Oh, very much so. A lot has changed, and I think banks overall, you know, we're, we're pretty used to following rules, and we know what the consequences are if we don't follow the rules, so we make it work. Um, with the addition of the fifth pillar this year, um, it has been more difficult to do because some of that feels nearly impossible. Um, but a lot of the rules that seem out of date are, you know, are behind the times. We, we just have to make it work, and we, we kind of just hope and, and keep our fingers crossed that our auditors and examiners take that into consideration that every bank is different, every area is different. Um, the rules are the rules, and we, we do our best to comply with them, but it is very difficult to do so, and we do wish that things would kind of get caught up with, with where we are today. 
So continuing on that, Pacha, what are some of the processes and methods you use to ensure Farmers Bank and Trust doesn't get caught up in in this illicit activity unknowingly? Well, the, the short answer for that is we ask a lot of questions, we monitor the answers, and we, we try to react accordingly. Um, to, to break that down a little bit, we, ha- we focus you know, on the due diligence of new customers, new entities that, that we're taking on, and, and try to get a really good understanding of who they are, what they're doing, their anticipated activity, and, and those type questions. So, uh, again, that starts with a list of questions to help us get to know those folks. And, um, and and knowing what to expect out of their relationship with us. And then we try really hard to only request information that is either, number one, required by the law for us to do so or that's going to be helpful and not waste our time and our effort nor find out more about the customer than we need to know. I cannot hardly imagine what it would be like these days to have a strong um, BSA AML program without some sort of an automated monitoring system. Um, We do have a dedicated employee that reviews the output from that system every single day, and we're able to fine-tune that with, you know, what exactly it analyzes and that our thresholds are correct and that we're looking at the things that really do pose a risk to the bank and not just information for the sake of looking at information. The the BSA pillars, you know, they highlight training and and someone being responsible for this program, I think, for good reason, because it is probably the one regulation that we spend the most time training on and the most time preparing for and that the largest amount of people are involved in bank-wide and so it's it's complex and it's 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 big and it's it's major but we do our best to make it work and um, I I can't even imagine how how much um, work goes into it for the larger institutions. How much time would you say your institution spends on taking care of all this on on asking questions and having a dedicated employee to go through all that output is there a way to quantify the amount of time and resources that Farmers Bank and Trust spends on this? Possibly Um, you know we're spending probably an additional five to ten minutes at the on the deposit side at the new account desk and probably on the in the loan world you know we're asking some of those questions anyway so it it works for both but then on the monitoring side of it um, we have a, a employee dedicated our assistant bsa officer she's dedicated to probably an hour a day for our size institution okay and then an another person on the team who handles all the CTR reporting. So probably another, you know, 30 minutes a day. And then to add to that, the training of all employees, including the BSA team, you know, it's a pretty substantial amount of time compared to other regulations. Um, We feel like we have a really strong BSA program, um, but it, you know, there's, it's never perfect. So we're always trying to, to try to be better. Gotcha. I, I've got a question for you, Padja. Sorry okay. to interrupt, Laura. Um, do you guys open accounts online, either deposit or loan accounts? We do not currently, but are planning to implement that before the end of the year. Yeah, that's the reason I ask. Is that's just that's one of the areas that we've struggled with greatly um, in my past life was really being able to get to know your customers when you're not seeing them face-to-face. It's definitely somewhat of a struggle, um, you know, gathering all of that information and doing it quickly because that's the other thing is it's becoming, um, you know, it's 
2018 and everybody wants an immediate response, you know, when they go to click that online account, you know, they want to be approved automatically, et cetera. So that's definitely another struggle in that regard. Yes. And, and BSA obviously complicates that. The rest of it could be immediate. Um, but, but making sure we have verified the identity correctly will probably create a, a, a day delay in things. Okay, so Amber, Joseph Odding, the Comptroller of the Currency, has expressed desire many times to revise the BSA, saying it's almost impossible for banks to comply with. And I think, you know, we've talked about that at length. Here, it, it obviously is a challenge. What issue is really at stake here? Which aspects of the law does the OCC want to revise? That's that's an interesting and a loaded question. Um, <laughs> Mr. Odding has, like you said, expressed that interest um, a, a multitude of times. He's he's in kind of a unique role um, as the new comptroller. He has a background as a banker, um, which they have not had in that role for a long, long time. So he's kind of bringing in an interesting um, view on things to the table. And he's not alone in wanting to revise that. Um, several of the banker advocate groups like the American Bankers Association, the independent community bankers, they have all advocated for the issue as well. Um, and he's ADA. also got support from the FDIC and the Federal Reserve too, right? Um, correct. Yeah, he he has been working in conjunction with those other two organizations and that um, to bring any change, the three of them will have to, you know, make a joint effort for that with any proposals that are going to be pushed through to FinCEN. Um, it will have to be done jointly because the OCC does not have that rulemaking authority, you know, alone. Right. Um, so they, they are definitely all kind of working in conjunction. We've got several... Um, state senators that are working towards that as well. Um, there was a bill that was put into place um, towards the beginning of the year that has kind of stalled a little bit, which was going to tackle um, what they called low-hanging fruit for the regulation. So um, basically, it was going to up some of the CTR and SAR reporting limits. It was going to revise some of the guidance um, regarding those businesses, specifically in regards to the CDD rule. Um, they would like to work towards a national directory of some sort um, to aid in the beneficial ownership compliance, which would be absolutely amazing. Um, and that would, you know, really improve some of that information sharing, you know, across the board. So it's, you know, it's definitely, it, it's a widespread issue. Obviously, it's got support across the board. But the problem is, you know, with any rule changes that are going to be made, it's not something that happens quickly. Um, and it's not something, you know, that it's going to be changed overnight. They are working through um, multitudes of regulatory changes that have come to light because of the presidential administration that is in place now. Um, Dodd-Frank is the biggest one that you see in the news left and right. They're working on a rewrite for that. So there are, you know, there's several banking-specific rules that are, you know, kind of under the spotlight right now to to be revised, but it's just a matter of, you know, when, when all of that will happen. Which so, is why you kind of laughed when you said low hanging fruit, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's definitely <laughs> not something that's going to happen overnight by any means. But I mean, any, any buzz around it is, you know, positive as far as, you know, the change goes. So. Absolutely. And, and okay, so Padra, let's pretend for a second that you are in front of Congress, you have their undivided attention, 
and they want to know what you think about this law. So what parts of the BSA would you want to modernize, uh, change, or even get rid of completely? Well, on the forefront of most of the the bankers dealing with BSA these days is definitely the addition of the CDD beneficial rule. Okay. That um, it needs more attention. I, I do understand the desire for the information and why it needs to be collected by someone. I'm not sure the bank's the place to do it. And some of the requirements from it are, like I said early, they, earlier, they feel impossible. Um, we are working through it and thankful for the recent extension that, that was granted. Um, and then definitely a close second to that would be exactly like Amber stated is the reporting thresholds. We are a small rural community bank and the thresholds seem very low for us. So I can't imagine being a bank in downtown you know, Chicago and dealing with a $10,000 threshold on currency transaction reporting. Um, it, it would be an easy fix and, and could relieve a lot of burden to the bank. Um, and, and one thing I would, would hope that could be looked at, and, and folks have different opinions of this altogether, but just the um, division of banks based on their asset size. In, in requirements across the board and what makes sense for a bank like our bank compared to a large national bank, the rules need to be, it needs to be realized that the rules apply across the board and they may not be effective in both settings if the rules are the same for both. Amber, how likely do you think it is that um, the, the thresholds would be more customized to a bank's um, asset size? Is that, is that something we can foresee? I don't know about the customization, unfortunately, as far as the reporting thresholds go. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I I think it's pretty likely at this point that we will see some sort of change to that. Um, from what I saw in the proposal that was put through earlier this year, they wanted to up the limits on that to $30,000, which I think is... Uh, it's a positive change and a move in the right direction, as Paja said. You know, the, the $10,000 limit is relatively low even for a community bank in 2018. So I think that that will definitely help things a little bit. Um, but as as stated earlier, the rules have always kind of been a, you know, one size fits all. It applies to everybody. So I think really in order to get any kind of assistance as far as um, – you know, the the compliance goes with that. It's more, you know, on the examiners when they come out to actually do the exams to recognize the type of institution that they're dealing with, you know, from your rural community bank, they're going to have a different exam than, you know, your large financial institution in Chicago or New York or wherever. Then what do you think a revised modernized BSA would look like? Um, well, like we said, I, I think for sure the reporting limits um, at this point, it looks like they will be revised at some point. Um, again, I'm hoping to see some sort of registry that would help with compliance for CDD. Um, the proposal that I saw basically stated that they would require any newly incorporated businesses to register um, with some sort of national registry. It didn't state who would maintain that or anything like that. But um, that would give any institutions that are trying to comply with that CDD rule basically a place to go and check um, the beneficial owners for an account when they're opening it rather than you know relying on the customer that's in front of them to tell them who they are. So I think that that would 
um, that would be a great help. I would like to see more guidance on how to actually comply with the requirements of the regulation um, in the modern age. So tips and tricks, um, you know, from FinCEN or the regulatory agencies themselves on detecting suspicious activity in 2018, on really getting to know who the customers are when you're not feeling, seeing them on a daily basis. So maybe not even necessarily changes to the rules, but just just some, you know, associated guidance to help comply with that. Um, it, it's not going to go away, and that's that's the whole thing with a lot of these rule changes that we are seeing and the proposals that we're seeing, um, you know, just like Dodd-Frank, it's not going away at this point. So um, it's all still very relevant um, to, you know, what we're doing and, you know, to the cause. So it's any change, I think, at this point is going to be positive. Amber, what about the FinCEN CDD rule, which greatly affects BSA? It just went to, went into effect on May 11th. That's, you know, pretty recent, but have you heard any effects or fallout at this point? There has been um, some extensions of deadlines and things like that that have gone into place um, even just since the 11th. So uh, it looks like they are looking at it and they are looking at the effects that it's going to have. It's kind of late for that at this point, Um, but it's, you know it's good that they are looking at it, I guess I would say for now. Um, it's, and again, the, the, um, registry that I discussed earlier, as far as the private organizations with, um, that has been proposed as well, that is something else that would aid in compliance with that. So, um, hopefully they will still keep it under the microscope and watch, um, carefully. I'm, I'm interested to see kind of how the first round of exams go, um, you know, since, since it has taken effect um, to really see what the examiners are going to be looking at for compliance with that. So with that, Padja, are you uh, at all optimistic that you may see some relief right away from the the CDD final rule? Well, the the specific thing that there was an extension um, applied to was that of renewing accounts, um, automatically renewable accounts, such as automatically renewable loans and certificates of deposits. Um, for us, automatically renewable certificate of deposit, we don't come in contact with those customers at the time of renewal. That is kind of the the nature of the, the vehicle, the investment vehicle is. It just automatically renews and nobody has to touch it, the customer nor the bank. So for us to have to stop that process and gather this information, um, it, it changes the, the whole structure of the certificate of deposit. And so... Um, we were having to manually do that for customers, or we were planning to manually do that for customers that might fall under these requirements of being a legal entity customer. Um, that it was burdensome to us, so I'm sure even more so burdensome to larger banks on, on how are we going to do this. Um, and so that was what was extended until August. So we are we are going to sit and wait just a little while. Um, we have our plan in place and feel like we can launch that plan and do it, but we are going to sit back and, and and hold on to the hope that there is some more relief coming um, and that there's some more understanding coming to those folks putting the rules in place of how it actually works in the trenches, per se, and how we're actually dealing with it on a day-to-day basis. Some some other things that the CDD final rule has, um, has done is 
it has really been made clear since we went live, we went live a week before on the 4th, that every every single customer that we come in contact with that this applies to is a different situation. And to be quite honest, most of the customers don't know the answer to the questions. And so the, the bank has, has been given a, a tool to say it is their responsibility to sign a document saying that this is what they know to the best of their ability. We're able to do that. We're able to do the form. We're able to maintain the data. But are we collecting good data? Is it accurate data? Because we're having to take these folks' word for it, and there's no way for us to verify it. Is that common? Um, well, um, this this one's a little different than ones that I have historically um, had dealings with. There's normally a way to verify the information somehow, um, and this one is simply taking the person in front of you's word for it, and that's that's good enough based on what the regulation says. It's a lot of work and a lot of um, expense and time and, and lots of other things going into something that I think we all wish we felt more sure of, that the data was good data. Well, Podge and Amber, we really appreciate you sharing your, your BSA insight with us, and, and um, I feel like we got some great perspective. And I'm going to go ahead and say it now that I want to reserve the right to have you both back on FinTech Focus at some point because I, I feel like a lot of this stuff isn't going away, and certainly BSA is going to be in the news for a long time. Thank you so much for doing the show, both of you. It was great. Yeah, Thank you. Okay. We'll be right back after this. Technology, integration, experience. All three play an integral role in your bank's ability to meet customer expectations. At CSI Customer Experience 2018, we'll examine the many ways in which these aspects of fintech and regtech drive your bank forward. Join us September 11th through the 13th for informative breakout sessions on everything from P2P payments to cybersecurity, as well as engaging keynote presentations and the opportunity to network with hundreds of your peers. Save your spot for CX18 today at csiconf.com. That's csiconf.com. And we'll see you in Dallas. And that's it for this week's episode of FinTech Focus. Thanks again to Paja and Amber for joining us today. And thanks to all of you for listening. For more on the Bank Secrecy Act, check out some of Amber's blog posts on our website, csiweb.com. You can subscribe to Fintech Focus wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a second, rate us and write a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps more people discover the show. For previous episodes of Fintech Focus and to learn more about CSI, head over to csiweb.com and we'll see you next time.